Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. It's uh, good to be with you this morning. I appreciate my wife's introduction. So she's more kind to me than I deserve. So um, so I want to begin this morning just with a question. Why can't we all just get along? When I was preparing this message, I actually typed that question into into Google, and I was amazed with how much stuff came back. Um, There are all kinds of, of course, psychological articles about this, why we can't just get along. There are sociological articles, opinions out there, and of course, there are TED Talks that speak about why can we not get along. And then I was amazed about the number of songs that have been written about this topic and actually are titled, Why Can't We All Just Get Along? You know, sadly, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we don't have a great track record across the centuries about getting along from historic theological debates to church splits to conversations about how we should run VBS to which color we should paint the bathroom wall in the women's bathroom. We find it difficult sometimes to just get along. And we're not the first Jesus followers to have this difficulty because in today's passage, we find Jesus talking with his disciples about how to get along. So verse 30 begins a section in which Jesus takes his disciples aside from public ministry. And I know you guys have been going through the book of Mark and Pastor Josh asked me to continue. And so we're stepping aside from that public ministry And Jesus begins to teach his disciples privately some very important lessons. Now, they've just traveled through Galilee. They've come back to Capernaum, which um, is an area that we might call home for the disciples and Jesus. And during that journey, we learn that the disciples had some interesting conversation along the way. Starting in verse 33, when he, Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, we might imagine some of the topics that they argued about. First and most important, who makes the best fried chicken? Right? But maybe it went something like this, who sings better? Who knows the Bible better? Who prays more? Who's the smartest? Even more important, who's the wisest? Who's best at healing people? Who's best at casting out demons? Who's, who does Jesus trust most? Which of us does Jesus love most? I mean, doesn't that sound like an uplifting conversation? Not. And so this question, who is the greatest, can take many forms. But at the bottom line, I want to suggest that it always involves comparing ourselves to others. 
And so what does Jesus recommend in verse 35? Sitting down, Jesus called the 12. By the way, when a, a rabbi sits down, you need to listen. He's about to say something really important. Jesus, sitting down, called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he brings a living illustration. He took a little child and he placed, the, placed among them, taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, what's the big deal about a child in the times and culture of Jesus Great, if you put it in quotes, great people did not lower themselves to deal with children. Author John MacArthur has written, children have not yet accomplished or achieved anything. They have no power or honor, but are weak and dependent and ignored. In fact, he says rabbis considered it a waste of time to teach the Torah to a child under the age of 12. But you see, Jesus here is taking the exact opposite approach, taking this child on his lap, in his arms, and he says the opposite. Do you really want to be the greatest? Do you really want to get along with each other? Then take people like this child, the weak, the insignificant, and love them and serve them. You see, we need to remember that Jesus isn't just talking into the air here. He didn't, he's not just saying words. Jesus lived these words. Think about it. Jesus actually was, no arguing, the greatest human being who had ever lived on earth. And yet he spent the majority of its time hanging out with children, sinners, tax collectors, collectors, the weakest of the weak, the people that the rest of society ignored, that's who Jesus spent his time with. And ultimately, he gave his life as a humble sacrifice for people who could add nothing to his life. And so Jesus seems to be saying here, do you want to get along with each other? Then stop comparing yourselves to each other and start comparing yourself to Jesus. You see, the fact of the matter is, I think Jesus does want us all to be great. But he has a little different perspective on greatness. Jesus does want the very best for each of us. But in the kingdom of Jesus, greatness is defined by Jesus. It's not defined by our neighbor or anyone else. True greatness is available to every follower of Jesus, but it comes by doing what Jesus did, by becoming weak, humble, welcoming the weak and the ignored and broken people around us and simply loving them and serving them. Why? 
can't we all just get along? First answer is because we spend our time comparing ourselves to each other rather than trying to be like the one who really is the greatest. But the conversation continues in verse 38 where we read, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. I don't, I just, I don't know if you can, do you ever just stop and kind of smile when you're reading the word? I mean, here we are. We, the disciples have been talking about, or Jesus have been talking to them about arguing between themselves, who's the greatest. And so they've moved on and immediately now they've turned their attention to criticizing people who are outside of their circle. They're still asking the question, who's the greatest? But it's a little different. Now, I want to talk for a moment about circles. I mentioned circles, trusted circles. Human beings, just in general, we define our place in life by drawing circles, social, relational circles. And the circles look something like this. We form this idea of who our people are. People who are like us, people um, who agree with us, people who, with whom we have common experience. And then we draw this invisible but very real circle around that group of people, and we say those are the in people. And of course, everybody who's not in our circle, they're the out people. And this then becomes the foundation by which we start to identify and find our place in life. Now, in our passage today, uh, the disciples have clearly drawn a circle. They find this guy who is successfully casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and they tell him to stop. Now, I think someone preached here a week or two ago, earlier in chapter 9, remember that the disciples were trying to cast out demons and couldn't, right? And here we have this man, probably a very young believer in Jesus, and he's out there successfully casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And why are they criticizing him? Their problem with this guy is because specifically he's not one of us. Now, the original Greek here uses the word following. He was not following us. He's not following our program, Jesus. He's not doing things our way, Jesus. He didn't get our permission to do this, Jesus. And so we told him to stop. They've drawn a circle, and this guy's not in it. For the disciples, their circle was, have you been traveling with Jesus? Have you been living life in person with Jesus? Everyone else, including this guy who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus? Nope. On the outside. And thus somehow less than. Have you ever been on the outside of someone else's group? Most of us have had that experience, right? Not fun. You see, you know what I'm saying is true here. People draw circles all the time, social, socially, politically, relationally, religiously. As followers of Jesus, we do it 
far too often. But Jesus tells the disciples, I draw a different kind of circle. He says in verse 39, do not stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Notice here the repetition. Twice Jesus repeats this phrase, in my name. And so we find Jesus drawing a different kind of circle. Jesus puts himself in the center of the circle. And then he defines everything else by how people are related to him. The relationship is in his name. Now, this phrase is critically important in the passage. It, to do things in the name of Jesus means that things are being done under the authority of Jesus and for the glory and honor of Jesus. Let me say that again. To do things in the name of Jesus is to do it under his authority and for his honor and glory. You see, it can happen the other way. If you, there's a story in Acts chapter 8 with Simon the sorcerer, and he's doing miracles as well. We don't know the power by which he's doing it, but it's clear in the Scripture that he is not doing it under the name of Jesus. He's doing it under the name of Simon. Fortunately, he comes across Philip, the disciple, and he sees Philip doing miracles in the name of Jesus, and he says, I want some of that. And so you see, Jesus has a simple formula for his circle. Are you doing things for people? Are you serving people, loving people, carrying out what Jesus did in the name of Jesus? Are you? Yes. Cool. You're in. You're in the circle. You see, the disciples had not yet realized and learned that people can indeed follow Jesus and at the same time not be following them. People can follow Jesus and still not be in my in circle. People can faithfully follow Jesus, do great things in the name of Jesus, and still not, or they can be in hmm, Baptist churches. Do you know any of those? They can be in Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, Catholic churches, charismatic churches, house churches. I've met people in all of those places who are doing things in the name of Jesus. People can faithfully follow Jesus, do things in a way that are totally out of my comfort zone. I have an interesting story about that. One time when I was, um, I was serving as missionary in Eastern Europe, and I was invited to work for a few days in Bulgaria with this group of leaders from a large church in England. They were there training pastors. Now, the lead pastor of this UK megachurch was named David Carr. And David was widely known in the UK and actually in many parts of the world for his gift of healing. Um, so we're in Sofia, the capital of Bulgaria, and they had arranged to host a public worship and a healing service that evening at the National Palace of Culture, which is a huge building in the center of the city in, in Sofia. Word had gotten out about this, and they were expecting well over a thousand people to show up. 
So the evening of the healing service, I find myself, I'm backstage with those who will be involved in the service. We're gathered, we pray, we invite God to move in people's lives like you normally would or something like that. And after the prayer, one of David's colleagues called me over and, and he said, Scott, would you be willing to serve as a catcher tonight? And I looked at him and some of you have got a confused look on your face. I looked at him with that face. And I said, well, I'm happy to serve, but could you help me understand what is a catcher? He smiled graciously and he explained that David would be, uh, after he preached, he would be inviting people forward for prayer. And that quite often when David prayed for people and placed his hand on them to pray, they would collapse under the power of God. And so they needed people like me to be in the crowd to catch people and to help them fall down graciously and safely. In fact, they had women as well with blankets and towels so that when a woman fell down and she was in her dress, she was immediately covered so to be appropriate. So now I'm just a farm boy from Clark County, Ohio. And even though by that point in my life, I had been a pastor, I had been a church planter, I had been a missionary for a few years, I had never been part of a worship service where people were physically collapsing under the power of God. That was way out of my comfort zone. That was way out of my circle that I normally drew. Well, Pastor David preached. He told stories about God's healing in people's lives and his ministry around the world. And, and then he invited people. Oh, he shared the gospel very clearly. And then he invited people to come forward if they wanted to receive Jesus as their Savior or if they wanted prayer for healing. And I tell you, I mean, he barely got done saying that and it felt like, all thousand plus people rushed to the front of the auditorium. And my assignment was to follow David through the crowd. And as he prayed for people and laid hands on people, I'm positioning myself behind these people. And sure enough, several of them collapsed into my arms and I helped lay them down on the floor while God dealt with them. an experience I'll never forget. <laughs> but here's the point. David's way of serving Jesus was way out of my circle for serving Jesus. He preached differently. He prayed differently. He spoke in tongues over people when he prayed. I've never been given that gift. He did many other things that didn't fit into my circle, my norm for how to be a pastor and work with people. But here I was watching up close and personal the genuine power of Jesus flowing through this man to save the lost, heal the sick, and set the captives free. Sounds like Jesus. And I could have drawn my circle. I could have said, no, David's not doing it right. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. But I had been interacting with David behind the scenes. 
And it was evident to me that he was humbly serving Jesus for no glory, no honor of his own. It was truly the power of God working through him, I believe. And Jesus was receiving the honor and the glory. And so it would have been wrong for me to draw my circle and somehow possibly hinder the power of God that was changing lives in front of me. Why can't we all just get along as followers of Jesus? Because we draw our circles wrongly. We decide who's in and who's out based on our criteria rather than the criteria of Jesus. Jesus is the center of the circle, not you, not your experiences, not your people, not me, not my experiences, not my people. The circle is defined by Jesus, and the people who are in are those who are acting in the authority of Jesus and for the honor and glory in Jesus. Jesus, if you're doing, or Jesus says if we're doing that, we're on the same team. Why? can't we all just get along? Problem one, we're too busy comparing ourselves to each other and finding, trying to find that greatness. When greatness comes by finding Jesus and finding his, his greatness and modeling our life after that. Problem two, we draw our own circles of who's in and who's out rather than recognizing that Jesus is the circle. And all who do their thing in Jesus' name are in. Now, problem one and problem two result in problem three often. And we find problem three spelled out in the final verses of this chapter. Unfortunately, we don't have time this morning to kind of dig into every detail and answer every question that these verses raise. And so I'm just going to get straight to the point. Problem three is stumbling some of your translations, the translation that Michelle read said, translated sin, but I'm going to use the word stumbling. Verses 42 through 47, repeat the word stumble four times. The Greek word is skandalizo, where we get our word scandalous, literally scandalize. Jesus says in verse 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, to be scandalized, with the little ones probably that he's referring to probably mean either that child who's sitting in his lap at the moment or that young believer who's out there casting out demons in, the Jesus, in Jesus' name. If anyone causes one of those kinds of people to stumble, Jesus goes on to talk about hand-foot-eye disease. Have you heard of that? You have to ask your doctor about it. Hand, foot, eye disease, not hand, foot, mouth disease. Hand, foot, eye disease. Verse 43, if your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to stumble. Problem one, arguing about greatness. greatness. Problem two, division among believers lead to problem three, stumbling in our relationship with God or causing someone else to stumble in the relationship with God. What might this look like? I was thinking about this. Imagine that a child, let's say a child, 11, 12, 13 years old, 
overhears you or overhears me speaking badly about another believer, another Christian. And as a result of that, that child decides, well, if that's the way Christians treat each other, then I don't want to be one. You see, your arguing, my arguing, and division with another brother or sister in the church has just led you or me to stumble, to sin. And it's also led that child to a life of stumbling in their relationship with Jesus. Or imagine that a young adult is feeling the call of God to serve in ministry. But when she tries to spread her wings and try this out and, and lead a Sunday school class or start a Bible study in her dorm room, there's this other Christian who says, well, you can't do that. You're not mature enough. You're not, uh, you don't have the training to do that. You're a, women, you're a woman and only men can do that. And so she gives up in discouragement, drops out of Bible college, gets a job at the local factory and does nothing at the church except sit in the pew for the next 30 years. The Christian who discouraged her calling has stumbled. They've sinned against this young lady. They've also caused the young lady to stumble because she didn't answer and say yes to the calling of God on her life. And sadly, this kind of stuff happens among Jesus' followers far too often. And I've got a hard word from Jesus today, but I'm just going to say it. Jesus will not have it. Period. And he makes this very clear that it's a big deal because he uses some of the most graphic metaphors in all of the New Testament to describe how serious it is. Cause another follower of Jesus to stumble. He says it'd be better to be thrown into the sea with a 3,000 pound rock around your neck. Lead yourself into, your, into stumbling and sin. It's better to maim yourself, cut off the part that causes you to sin than to keep stumbling from it. Now, to be clear, Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's not actually advocating physical harm to yourself when you cause yourself or you cause others to stumble. But he is underlining the seriousness of stumbling sins, specifically like arguing and division in the church. Jesus is not okay with this. He's not okay with stuff that causes others, causes ourselves to stumble in our relationship with him. Why? Because he loves us too much for that. Why can't we all just get along? It turns out that Jesus has answered that question long before American country music did. The solution is to turn our minds and our hearts towards Jesus. Jesus is the greatest who ever lived. And so let's focus on being like him, humble, sacrificial, 
loving the least and the weak. In the name of Jesus, that's the circle we want to be in. And so let's focus on working together under his authority for his honor, for his glory. Joining hands with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing the same, even though they're different from us. With Jesus at the center, it is indeed possible to all get along. We're going to pray and I thought it would be good. Sometimes I know here at, at Carl Road, uh, pastor will invite you to come forward for prayer. I'm going to do something, and I just feel like God's saying do something a little different. I'm going to pray, but we've been talking about arguments and division. Those happen in every church. But what I want to invite you to do is to, as we pray, if the Lord taps you on the shoulder and says, you've been having a disagreement with whoever, while we're praying, just get up and go to that person and say, hey, I want this to be right between us. I love you. Can we work it out? Okay? I want you to consider that this morning. If the person that, that you, comes to mind is not here today, you've got the next seven days till you come back next Sunday. Make a phone call, send a text. We've got lots of ways to communicate, but let's get along and make the intentional choices to do that. Let's pray. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.